Welcome to Probably Science on the Road in the writer's room of the Jim Jeffries Show. That's Andy Wood. That's, yes. I'm Matt Kirschard. I'm sitting one chair over from where I normally sit. We've, the show's done that both Andy and our guest, Brett Erickson, friend, comedian, writer, all around good person, Aww. came to the taping. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. That Hung was out. A couple of other comics came to the taping as well. There are a few yeah. people. Uh, our friend John Huck was yeah, there. Yeah, a very good man himself. John Huck was here today to uh, swoon over one of the guests of the show. Yeah, I invited John specifically because I knew that... <laughs> I can say this now because the episode would have gone out by the time any of you yeah, hear this. But Kerry King from Slayer was... The guitarist, founding member of Slayer. Doing like a three-line cameo for a really silly joke. We basically just Jim pulls in Kerry King to say three things and then goes again. Uh, and uh, uh, and then also play some guitar at the end of the show. It was, a, it was a lot of fun, and he was great. But I happen to know that John Huck is a very big fan of Slayer. So when I knew he was confirmed, I was like, Hey, John, what are you doing? Do you want to come to the taping? Uh, so he came along and was very giddy backstage. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a grown yeah, man he, quite so... He pitted out his... He started sweating profusely... <laughs> When he got a chance to talk to him, and he, he had to slay her socks on. <laughs> yeah, slay socks. Who knew? I didn't, are, those we, are those licensed? There's no way Slayer uh, puts their name on socks, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I think they're the crusty, crusty the Clown of Metal. <laughs> Just any kind of merch. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it was great. He was very um, excited. He, he honestly looked like... Well, there were two moments. Firstly, Kerry King sat backstage and watched the, the rest of the show before it was his turn, uh-huh. and sat maybe six chairs down from John. So already John was like, oh no. Like when he sat yeah, down, he yeah. was like, couldn't quite go. And then he did a bit of warming up, just noodling on the guitar backstage, like not plugged in, but just warming up his fingers. Yeah. And at that moment, John honestly, <laughs> by the way, friend of the show, John, he's been on the show a while back, about a year, year or two ago. But John at that point, I think he looked like a 12-year-old boy at a water park who's just seen a woman's bikini come off. Like, it, just, like, it just looked like, this isn't meant to happen, yeah. but it's happening, and yeah. this is maybe the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Like, yeah. was, the clouds opened, a ray of sunlight was, came through. <laughs> it, yeah. it really was just like, he didn't, his brain couldn't quite process it. But then here comes the fun part. He then left after the recording. Andy and uh, Brett hung out while Jim did the podcast. Which Kerry then stayed for and then hung out for ages. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if yeah. he'd been with us, he would have been sitting with, with his <laughs> wife, Aisha, and uh, probably would have befriended her and then become like in the Kerry, Kenny, Kerry King circle. I'm going to say, yeah, he definitely would have been best friends, he, so he yeah. missed out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they're so nice. They're, so, they're both very nice people. And they've been drinking a little bit. Aisha's like bubbly and fun and like just wants to hang out and like, crack jokes and goof off. So, like, for sure, he would have been, like, he would have had the time yeah. of his life. <laughs> and Andy and I, like, yeah, Slayer is great, you know, but it's not, like, as you don't big have of a deal to, to us. You We're don't not- have that sauce. Right. I mean, I play guitar and I love great guitarists, and it was cool to, to meet him, but, like, John was, I hope, here's what I hope. I, I did... Uh, exchange info with Aisha or told her uh, she asked what the podcast we're doing was so if she's listening to this she can email probably science at gmail.com or like message me on Instagram because I, I was John is going to see them in Irvine and was like maybe maybe if I 
<laughs> if I become friends, he's going to like upgrade my seats and be like, so, you know, if, if yeah, you're listening let me be in the and you want to you wanna help wait, wait, out a guy not, who... Not Irvine, I think San Diego. I think San, he's, he's driving to San Diego. He's, he's going San Diego. to San Diego for the first show of the tour. It would make John's year. <laughs> that what he's doing? It is. That's what that's he's how doing. Big a, that's how big a fan he is. He's like, I don't want to... Yeah. Is that because he doesn't want the rest of the tour to be ruined by well, spoilers? I think <laughs> like <he's> just... <laughs> probably. But I honestly, I think it's partly because... Uh, he bought the tickets before the rest of the tour was set up because San Diego was first. <laughs> okay. And he's like, that's the only one that's going to happen. It's the only one around here. I'm buying these tickets. And then like after they get more dates, then, oh, well, we're coming back to Irvine. I, I, that <laughs> happened to me. I went to Scotland to see Pulp with, um, with the girl I was dating because that was the only show they were going to do. And it was the only show they had done like 10 years. And then as soon as we got there, they announced they're going to do a full North America tour. <laughs> I was like, we didn't have to go to Scotland. He's <laughs> actually went international. We're yeah. playing Andy's Backyard in our next to last show. Like, yeah. God just damn could- it. <laughs> I uh, won't be there. Hey, Brett, we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the stories. What, okay. if anything, is your background in science? Um, and that's if ranged, anything, and that's uh, ranged from like I did a course in college to yeah, I used no, to blow I, stuff up in the woods with my friends. I uh, I I have a college degree, uh-huh. not science related. What was your major? Uh, communications. Yeah, yeah, radio, TV. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've, I I read. Uh, I've read some Richard Dawkins books. Okay. That's science. I'm currently reading, rereading uh, one of my favorite books is uh, an Oliver Sacks uh, book. Oh, which book? Uh, Anthropologist on Mars. Do you know that one? I haven't read it. It's about, uh, it's just like a, a bunch of different case studies of cra- people with these really odd neurological disorders that he, oh. he treated. Like, like one guy got into a car accident and then he couldn't see color anymore like at all. So like everything was grayscale for him. Oh no shit! Yeah, and he was a painter, so it was oh, interesting fuck. to. He kept painting, and like the way his paintings changed was like a glimpse into all kinds of cool. I shit. I want to go see those paintings now. I want to look. Uh, it's up. pretty cool. And one of the stories was actually used as the basis of a movie, and they changed it around to make it a happy story. Not it's, awakenings. No. No, no, no. That's a different book. This was, uh, I think it's the basis for uh, Love at First Sight, the Val Kilmer movie, where he's blind and then he gets his sight back and he gets to see. So in, in, the, real, in the real story, uh, there was this guy who had glaucoma really bad since he was a real little kid. Mm-hmm. So then he was like f- almost 50 years old and he was about to be married and his wife was like, oh, you know, it would be great. Like if you just have glaucoma, they can actually now they can get rid of that. You'll be able to see and we're about to be married. You'll be able to see me for the first time. Well, what happens is that because he's been blind for so long, the parts of his brain that are used to, to make sense of what these images that are coming from his retinas is being used for something else. Uh So he can't, Still, he still can't see. Like he can see everything. Distinguish themselves. Can't do faces. He can't do depth for shit. Like he can't uh, see just, anything. So he's on getting TV the signal, but no it just sense. it's just those, it's those all just shapes. Those neural pathways have been like, repurposed now. For he other can things. tell. Like, yeah, he can't. Like this cup right here, he wouldn't know what that was until he picked it up and held it and could feel it. And once he could feel it, and he could associate the feeling. Right. And he's like, oh, I, now I see. To him, it's like a mystery. 
And then once he can hold it, then he can see like, oh, I see. It's a circle. You know, like now he's then between. then his brain is like, oh, well, this now yes. his brain is connecting. Right. It's what he's physically holding to the and pictures that are coming into it. He, he got more. Something is just really big or if it's close to you. Like, right. It's just kind of he got more he, and he got worse and worse instead of he didn't adapt. He got worse and worse oh, at it to the point where he was usually like just closing his eyes and living life. Yeah, yeah. Like when he was when he would walk. He was he had he was more comfortable walking with his eyes closed because with his eyes open he's being bombarded by all these all images and he can't, can't make sense process. of. Yeah. So it's almost like oh, just man. confusing extra shouting in your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they turned that into the Val Kilmer movie Love at First Sight, where he gets his vision and it's happy. I think, but in real life, <laughs> there's no dark turn in the movie at all. It's just I don't. I never bliss. saw the movie. It's just that, the, they. It certainly looked from the trailers like. This wasn't going to be the real story. It seems like one of those story. ones where, you know, every so often you hear about, like, they've adapted a property into either a movie or a TV show, but then it's just strayed so far from the original thing. Like, how is. How do they even have to still pay that original right. book? <laughs> yeah. The only concept now that they're taking over is that someone used to not be able to see and now can see, right. but they still have to pay off this book. I mean, I'm glad that that. Yeah. The That's author's getting money, it, I think. But yeah, the 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 story, the real story, is fascinating, and there are some more stories in that book too. The the anthropologist on Mars uh, comes from the last story, which is the story of. They also made it into a, a very good movie. The story of a, uh, I think her name is Temple Grandin. Oh, he studied her. Yeah. That, oh, okay. Yeah, she she went to him. She uh, developed all of these. Uh, cages and holding cells for cattle that would uh, allow them not to freak out before they were uh, slaughtered because she was a cowboy with autism. So she thought she like understood the... She understood, well, she... Or thinks she she's actually, still alive, right? I think so. She, she built is for still herself... Alive. She's 70 years old. She built for herself a hugging machine because she doesn't like to be touched. Mm-hmm. So, but so, so there's no contact, and then that can get weird. So she built this machine that she would like to get in that would like hold her, but it wasn't a person, so it didn't bother her. Okay. And she realized that uh, this is a very p- p- real shitty take on his on what this story's about because I don't remember it exactly. Um, but it's uh, she kind of did the same thing for for cattle. And she How found did she that, figure out that cattle are sort of autistic also? That's I don't know. Pieces, I don't, right? I, that like might have just been... A, kind, or horses yeah, are kind of autistic. Or, it's weird, but... but or just a vague assumption of like, oh, I yeah, thought I like this, works for maybe me. someone else might yeah. like this. Uh, and they had to... They, they kind of need a machine like that anyway to as they push them forward in the line like you so know it's, so it's nice that like she reappropriated what calmed her down into a machine for murdering murdering <laughs> i know it's a weird it's a it's a weird dichotomy to think about but she it's is a calming slaughter box. A, she, <laughs> but i mean as someone who eats meat like i guess i have it's, to it, for treating them as well as possible up until the point that they become it's, it's dinner, a so it's a it's way a, more humane uh treatment for what's happening to them than what was happening yeah yeah um what if what if she accidentally gets her hugging machine and her cow slaughtering uh. machine mixed up? <laughs> Oops. Uh, well, she hasn't yet because she's Temple. still alive. <laughs> oh. Temple, how many how many autistic people did you just send through? <laughs> We've been through this. Temple. And why is that cow now in the casino? 
<laughs> Counting cards. <laughs> she have cow face blindness on top of that. I'm looking up. Oh, that's um, right. All of, did Oliver Sacks have face blindness? Am I making that up? No, he did studies on. I'm looking on his Wikipedia page as we I, always do. This is the Wikipedia podcast. No, he did. He uh, did. I'm totally. Oh, he I'm did. totally not oh, making I'm, that up. Okay. He, he Sacks believed his shyness stemmed from his. I'm gonna mispronounce this because it's a, a prosopagnosia, which is face blindness. Oh, okay. I did not know that about him. Um, and the, is the man who mistook his wife for a hat? Is that's, that's not, he wrote that? Yeah. That's not the. Um, that's not the person who regained his sight, though, right? That's not no. a different thing. Okay. No, no, no. This guy's had an interesting life. Yeah, uh, Awakenings, I remember seeing that and then wondering how much of that was yeah, was he true was, to... He, he, sorry. Have you guys seen Awakenings? I haven't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, is that is that actually... I don't know. I would no, like to... That's a book can. that's on my list. I I would like to read I guess I could that one the book instead and of just check it out. But he is a fascinating guy, or was. He just died. Yeah, um, he, he died a few years ago. His yeah, I, I he had really severe face blindness. He really, he wouldn't even recognize his own reflection in mirrors. Whoa. What? Yeah. Wow. Uh, his eldest brother also I did had not it. Know that. Uh, interesting fun fact: a, a much milder but still real form of it, also um, possessed by former guest on the show Sarah Benincasa. Really? Yeah. Did she say that when she was on air with us? No, we were chatting a while back, but she was she was saying she has face blindness. She has like it's no it's nowhere near as serious, but it's the level where, for example, if her parents pick her up at, from the airport, there's she might a, not be able. To. It's a beat before she recognizes them, but there's like you know if you if it's your mum or dad, it's like it's instant. Right. It? Whereas yeah. with her, there's like a there's a second or two for it to sort of coalesce into. Oh, that's my parents. Yeah. Wow. Which reminds me, I really want to get Brandy Posey either on or back on. Has she been on before? I don't know. That uh, seems like an oversight. If either she either way, if she has been on when she was on, I didn't know that she has aphantasia. Do you know about that? Uh, what is that? She basically lacks the capacity to picture things in her mind. Oh, what? I know. Is that crazy? My very good friend and former Nobody housemate, has- Carrie Marks, also has that. I don't understand. No, I wait, didn't understand no, either. That's not she even wrote a long thing on Facebook about it. everyone was asking her questions. I was like, how what are you, you talking about? She can't picture things. Like She's like, what do you mean picture things? What does that mean? Like She can't develop an image of something in her Brandy mind. Brandy has never been on the show. We need to so, rectify that. But yeah, she's... Uh, Carrie, Carrie has this and he reckon, and he found it out like in his 40s, maybe even 50s, he discovered this. And he... It's, yeah, he has no visual imagination, and just and again, it's one of those things you don't. I'm trying. You don't to think. You don't really even, realize that it's because you go through your whole life just Not assuming knowing, people right. picture it the same way you right. picture. Like if you if you think of a train, he thinks of the sort of verbal things that make up a train like or just the concepts of train i can't even picture what it is not to even picture something (laughs) like what does that look like or not look like (laughs) i can't not see a train yeah we've got uh we we have to get brandy on to talk about this and also because she's a very good i I would just like to say right now fellas that i'm sorry i don't have any weird (laughs) sort of afflictions that i know of maybe 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 you might discover Holy shit. Mike Wilmot, who's a very funny Canadian comic, had a bit that he was doing a while back about discovering in his 40s that he was colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there are varying levels of it. So was his like not there, very severe? Or? There are. I don't know. But it had the tag. I know other people that, I mean. It had the it tag, happens. I used to sell paint for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like, this isn't that. This isn't the same color. And he's like, it dries to this color. <laughs> <It's right>. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good salesman. Mike Wilmot. Check him out. And Carrie Marks as well. Very funny comic. 
And Brandy Posey. And Brandy we just Posey. plugged three very funny people oh, in a row. I can't wait to get that A Fantasia thing. That's so bizarre to me. Yeah. I went from not knowing a thing existed to finding out a good friend of mine had had a thing. Face blindness when I, it's severe is remarkable. Like I guess the same I used to know someone in London who had I think a similar level to what Aloha Sachs has where she could be in the supermarket with a housemate, someone she's lived with for three years and if she doesn't remember what he's wearing that day, oh if they gosh. go down different aisles and what, then re-meet, she'll, she won't know that's him. Can I just use that at parties? From now <laughs> yeah, on, that does sound... Just, it could it's be a, a nice out. It's a really nice out. I wonder, like, uh, we have a neighbor in our apartment building, this, this older guy, Jim, and it might just be because he's just an older guy, but, like, I will see him in the neighborhood... And he's always got his earbuds in and he's always walking. So maybe that's it too. But like, I'll, hey, and he's kind of like, and he just walks past. But if he sees me at the apartment, there's context. He's there. always like, hey, yeah. what's going on? Like, maybe he just has, like, if I'm not in front of my actual apartment door, right. he has no goddamn idea who I am. I have no idea what I, I want to figure out what my thing is because I have something bad in terms of people and names and faces, but I don't know what it is because it's not consistent and it always comes off as like, I just don't care. Is it just rudeness? It's just rudeness. I I find other people boring. What, uh, what disease? Lack of giving a fuck about other human beings. Is it just being like, just nervous enough in most social interactions that you're just trying to get through the greeting and not actually like taking the time to like say the name five times to yourself in your head or something? That is one of those things I keep telling myself I'm going to make myself do it. And I always forget to when you the second you meet someone to repeat the name or even do the thing of coming up with associations or even just just do Jimmy Pardo or just say it back to you three times. He's like, Andy, am I pronouncing that right? Andy, Andy, and then like that works. Is that what he does? And his crowd, if you listen to it, it he's got a whole crowd work album, and like someone will have the most easy to pronounce name. (laughs) It's like, what's your name, sir? Ben. Ben. Am I pronouncing that right? Ben. Ben. So he says like three (laughs) times, and then the rest of the show he. He knows Ben. He and remember. he calls back like 20 different audience people because he's said their name multiple times and like brings it all together. It it's is great, the best way uh, to lock somebody's name into your head is to use it back to them in conversation right away. Yeah. It works. I do it whenever I remember to do it. Brett, that's and a good whenever idea, I do Brett, it, Brett, that's it a really works. Good idea. Brett, I, I appreciate that. Thanks, uh, thanks Steve. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, it doesn't work. But also, do you have a friend? I have a friend who... It only works if they're called Brett. (laughs) Yeah, it works for Steve's. (laughs) How often do you say someone's name back at them in a two-person conversation? Um, Here's how I do it. Here's how I do it. it. Although sometimes people do it too much. I know, yeah. Yeah, Once in a while, it's like, ooh. Whenever I meet someone, I try to use their name back to them so so that it will be in my head. And it's usually, if I can hold their name in there long enough, just as... Like if it's a quick greeting and then they're leaving and then it's, oh, hey, it's it's nice to meet you, Andy. Yeah. Like instead of just it's nice to meet you. That's good but enough for me. I'm good with that. Not th- and it I'm doesn't saying, seem weird. I'm saying like someone you've known for years, a good friend, you're hanging out one on one. Never. But if someone does it once in a while, it does give you a little jolt, like in a good, like, oh, yeah. like something a serious personal, is happening. Yeah it's, yeah, it's like the verbal version of someone just sort of touching touching your arm as they talk to you, yeah. just slightly. Yeah. Which, again, is one of those ones where once is sort of, no, nice. And if they keep doing it, it's weird. Right. <laughs> like it's just, or, or it's prefacing something ominous. Like, <laughs> like I, can, I can think of, there's only been a couple times in my life yeah. that a good friend has done that, and I remember those moments because it was like, oh shit, something bad or great is coming yeah. up here. They're about to ask me for money. Yeah, yeah. They're just about to direct me to the hug machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a hug machine. It's just Don't a hug machine. It. it gives good hugs. <laughs> I, I would give you the hug myself, but I'm tired. By the way, what have you been for? <laughs> 
<laughs> what if what have you been eating? And like, have you like a more of a grass diet? Yeah. <laughs> corn fed? What do you? <laughs> corn fed's my middle name. Uh, should we get into some <laughs> some stories? Some stories, or we could also do some listener. We got some nice letters. Yeah, uh, well, there's uh, one letters. God damn it! It's 2018. We did not get any letters. We got a telegram <laughs> yeah. from. Um, I quite like Chris Nelson, one of our fairly regular c- contributors and emailers wrote in asking us about I, I'm i really mixed on this as well and he wanted us to chat about the the catching of the possible, the alleged Golden State killer. Mm-hmm. I mean which, let's just get optimistic it. and say that he's been caught, but okay, alleged. I don't want to be, I don't want to be sued. I don't yeah. want a Golden State killer takes down I say science, he did takes it. all the assets. I say he did it so if he wants to sue me, Brett Erickson, he can sue me. All right, I'm going out on a limb. Steve, Guilty, Steve. Done. How do you feel? <laughs> uh, I'm 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 neutral on the Golden State Killers. But the way the way they caught him, as well as sort of the various investigative work, one of the things they used to catch him and zero on in on him is DNA evidence from. Now it wasn't 23andMe or Ancestry; it was a different thing, and now I can't remember. If you're able to look this up while I'm chatting, but. Uh, it was a genealogy website where it's believed that they, they had some DNA samples from, I think, two of his crimes. Uh-huh. And they used DNA evidence that had been submitted by, not by him, but by relatives. So I guess uh-huh. they were able to triangulate him. Right. Or at least zero. Well, they had him. an idea that, it might, that he was a suspect anyway. So once they had... DNA. Once they had that, and they, right. and they found that the DNA was, I presume, a certain amount of match, uh-huh. a certain amount of related. Same family. Yeah, two various people. Mm-hmm. Then they were able to zero in and go, like, this is someone who has a high likelihood of being our guy. I wonder if there's a reason why the BBC article does not mention the specific site. I was listening to a radio story yesterday that did mention who it was oh sorry the website that it was so i'll see if i can find that while we're chatting about it the dna doe project is uh, i guess they weren't the one that had the dna from the relative but they were sent the dna sent by a relative to one of these sites we don't know which it was provided the crucial clue so i don't know how it goes from there but it does it does raise some privacy concerns even though it did help do a good thing in this case yeah i i don't know how i really do feel very mixed on this because on the one hand, obviously, this person, horrendous human being, allegedly, uh, whoever perpetrated this crime, I think it's fair to say, without <laughs> any controversy there, bad person, bad, bad person, yeah. serial killer, serial rapist, yeah. bad person, and potentially has been caught because of this technique. But there are very strict rules for very good reason as to where, who can what authorities can do with your DNA, how they can collect it, whether they can keep it. Yeah. There's... Real, real quick, can you give me the pros and cons of having a system where at birth you get a blood sample taken and you're entered, your DNA is entered into a registry? What, what's the big downside of that? I would say big downside is the possibility of being framed, the possibility of... Mm. Um, I wasn't propo- I wasn't a proponent. I was just no, no, no absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, the the just general lack of freedom, police state aspect to it. You know, the idea that this in this case they're taking down a serial killer and serial rapist, very serious crime. But if it gets extended to 
attempting to basically, oh, this person, there was a trespasser, possibly, or I didn't like the look of this guy who was in my neighborhood. Let's just get him DNA tested and accuse him of being trespassed. Mm-hmm. You know, all the various ways in which people, particularly in vulnerable communities, get get either crimes foisted on them or more serious crimes attributed to them than would necessarily be attributed. Right. Can I just counter? I don't actually, I haven't put in thought on this to have an actual opinion. I'm just uh, devil's advocating here. But um, how is this more intrusive than the currently sort of flawed system we have of fingerprints relying on you already having been fingerprinted because presumably you were already arrested for something or had some other bad thing happen that meant you were fingerprinted? Like, why is it better that we have a database of people who have already possibly been, for all we know, arrested without cause, but fingerprinted, and now they are in a database. Uh, you know, How is that more or less fair than just everybody by default has their info to be tracked later? I, I think the fact is it's sort of not fair or right generally to have your fingerprint and DNA info on file. But once you've been convicted of a crime, you lose certain. But isn't fingerprinting right. doesn't fingerprinting happen before you're even convicted? Yeah, you're or not even, you don't even have to. It be is, but I believe I, again, maybe I'm wrong about the system in America, but in Britain, I think if you if if the charges are thrown out, they have to destroy that evidence. They can't keep that stuff on file. What? I believe so that's that the seems case. Like a weird system. They too. fingerprint I, you, uh... see if it matches the crime. Although having said that, my fingerprints are on file because I'm an immigrant. In America, Good. And I have to be tracked. I ha- yeah, I have to be tracked. That, I mean, it really is. Again, by tranquilized by choosing to come to America and choosing well, to live an as an immigrant I, I, here. This whole yeah. time, I thought that was an earring. I didn't realize. That that's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's. I've never even noticed something in my ear. Is this something in my ear? <laughs> no, no. It's I just remember being no, no, tired no. in an office for a bit, and then like, and then I was wearing a hat for some reason. Huh. I woke up with a hat sewn to my head. Huh. Weird. Yeah, I guess whatever it is, I'm sure it's fine. But um, yeah, by choosing to live in America as an immigrant, I've given up a certain amount of civil liberty. Now, would it would it be is the uh, the pro side of an automatic DNA registry prick of blood at birth being uh, wouldn't wouldn't that make like bone marrow matches and things like that just a, I can a see, lot easier yeah. if everybody was like oh i can see we a lot have of pros. A, I can see a lot of pros you know like you could probably do a lot of good if everybody was tracked like that i, I mean yeah, I, again I, i'm not advocating for that yeah, either because it sounds the like the way think through the possible it sounds like downsides. something a super villain would say at the beginning of a pitch meeting but then again fingerprinting uh, yeah i just can't get past the fact that we have this incomplete finger database fingerprint database but we don't have any qualms about how we decided who, well, yeah, who was you, not in if, that database. if you go if you if you need to find uh some if, if your child needs some sort of medical procedure and they need to find somebody that matches up and then it's sometimes next to impossible to do that and mm-hmm. it, if you know it, if all of this information were already available you could start cross matching things and I, you, you <laughs> and could you probably could, save a lot of lives you could and now i'm now yeah. i'm suddenly picturing what like a free market uh capitalist would say <laughs> well, about this which yeah. is like you reach out to those people yeah. and you start making offers yeah. and you find hey. out who will give up a kidney for well, the least amount of money who is a match <laughs> right, for this person right. well this is these are all issues and i'm just reading up something now various people sort of talking about uh the cons of dna fingerprinting 
some critics say firstly it's not 100 percent accurate some innocent people have been convicted due to dna fingerprinting uh some police have contaminated dna samples that's another issue no way police um <laughs> And then there are moral and ethical concerns over a government DNA database. It could violate uh, pr- privacy laws. Would this Again, information be resold yeah. to corporate interests? Oh, are fingerprints resold to corporate interests? Uh, yeah, potentially. Know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of you know, medical information and various things that are now supposedly government or publicly owned, but then mm-hmm. get then they make extra money in the private sector by s- supposedly selling data stripped of identifying information, yeah. but it can be re- pieced together. Um, is it being safeguarded from hackers? Uh, also, here's another issue that people Our might have. Our fingerprint database is being safeguarded from hackers. Yeah. I hate uh, that I've always sounded like I'm on the side of everyone getting DNA tested. Well, I here, am here, for it now that I think about it. Here's another, here's another <laughs> possible issue. Uh, DNA fingerprinting could be used by health insurance companies to deny coverage to those who have a genetic predisposition. That so, would absolutely... Then we, no, then we just have to get into the philosophy of what insurance is, which I've had... A problem yeah. with because like everyone on our side i mean our side i i think we're all left of center here and uh-huh. like we want health care for everybody but i understand also that insurance companies if they're if they are private they have to make a profit which means they have to charge more to people who are going to cost them more so either decide they're public and then throw that out yeah. the window or if they're private why are you saying they can't try they can't operate at a loss like of course well, that, they're gonna that does come down to just the sort of obamacare like, was like, such an awkward fudge between it's just it's, it's yeah no, no, no that is true both worlds yeah. right and we and we should i am for making it public i don't think it's the worst of both worlds but it's a very uncomfortable it's fudge a weird but i can definitely tell you that for sure insurance companies would use that information to deny people coverage well, of course for until sure. they were not allowed to do pre-existing condition stuff they were everything's about based on actuarials like your right. your car insurance is based on like your your age group and how risky that is like various yeah. things that yes. indicate if how it's on a public database to... even that I mean you could even argue it could be end up being used to do things like deny you other types of insurance um deny you certain types of work uh yeah. just affect numerous parts of life so then you gotta i guess you just gotta pass laws saying that those things are illegal and decide that some things should be public and not subject to what the actual but statistics then, say they'll cost then you're also to... then getting into the the bureaucratic nightmare that it is to simultaneously pass the law making this happen and all the and the law making all the safeguards happen and yeah, have them yeah. all go through together without solutions. being in any way corrupted by various vested yeah. interests and then you're still going to find 15 more things that you need to fix yeah and the, you know as we're finding out again with things like the facebook and cambridge analytica stuff there's just there's things that you don't even realize are a problem until they've already been a problem. <laughs> right. I mean, I know people yeah. were warning about that stuff right from the beginning, but there's a lot of stuff where they just sort of, they grew without really giving a shit about the consequences. Right. And now they're like, oh, we've accidentally semi, semi by design or by accident installed numerous hostile governments around the world. <laughs> yeah, like the whole, the outrage culture that, social media has fostered wasn't an intentional thing where someone said i want to get everyone outraged it was just an algorithm optimizing itself right and realizing these are the things that keep getting clicked on so we're going to show those things more yeah so and that's human a, psychology being what it is those happen to be things that get people outraged. Totally. so that's sort of an like, unintended consequence of just like oh we've realized if we want to get people to stay on the website and keep clicking stuff then we will write programs that will keep putting that will work out what they like and put more of that in front of them, and then oh, that's created more and more of a bubble. Mm-hmm. 
It's like the paperclip thing with AI, but that's already happened. Like we think about that's a thought experiment about what if in the future we tell an AI that it should make paperclips, so it optimizes itself to make paperclips and makes every atom in the world and then the universe into a paperclip. And it's not like trying to kill people. It's just like, oh, you told me to make paperclips. And now everything's paperclip and there's no life that exists anymore. Is that a thing that happened? (laughs) Yeah, you didn't hear it last week. (laughs) But that's a thought experiment with AI. And like, it's kind of happened with social media. We're already there where this thing just said, you just told me to get clicks yeah and it's like i yeah. didn't mean to do anything i just did the thing that makes the most yeah. clicking happen and it just happens to be the same as the thing that makes the most anger happen it makes a crazy person become president and makes it like susceptible to foreign powers it, like, uh, it, it makes people run into buildings with guns yeah. because they think that there's a pedophile sex ring in the basement that doesn't exist in a restaurant yeah i'm i'm a, I'm a pessimist about so technology right now that that's again that's why I think the people who are on the side of more personal liberty and personal freedom are very wary of DNA banks and DNA profiling. I mean, like any of these things, I'm not an absolutist either way. I'm certainly not a liberty absolutist. I think if you want to live in society, there is a balance to be struck constantly between personal freedom and personal safety. and it's up to society to decide where to draw those different lines. And the system and now I, seems to be like, your first one's a freebie. Your first crime is a freebie because right. you're not in any system yet. So do your killing right. quickly before you get but fingerprinted. That, but that sort of should be how it is because like, <laughs> but most people aren't murderers. Right. And most people aren't, most people aren't any kind of criminal, the, let alone such a serious criminal. The one crime... But, but hang on, here's the other thing. I, I'll, I'll retract that last statement. <laughs> most people are in very minor ways in fact probably everyone is in very minor ways a criminal every single yes. human speeding being and every yeah speeding too is, many laws for one us of not the to easiest break ones yeah. every single one of us has broken hundreds of laws hundreds of times throughout our lifetime but always very minor ones and normally in a way that doesn't affect people we've you know been slightly fudged some numbers or we've driven a little bit quickly or we've let our 17 year old nephew have a beer at Christmas or whatever you know there's been hundreds of times that you've done that and basically society works for the most part on the principle that you let that shit lie now if you had an absolute surveillance state that shit would lie every crime would be caught we would be a lot safer but we would have zero liberty right if you had an absolute 100% liberty state there'd be no police there'd be but you could do any crime you'd live in perfect liberty but it would be hell right there's a balance to be struck between those two things and it's where you draw those lines yeah like, i don't think we should all have rfid chips in us that would then also trigger like you could see when suddenly someone's their body is traveling at greater than 65 miles an hour they can get an I- instant ticket like how else unless they're a fast <laughs> but runner the, i mean that britain uh, is going that way on the roads now increasingly the major roads in britain have average speed cameras Oh, they, interesting. Rather than just a single speed camera that takes a... You couldn't this, this camera to that line, camera man. without that, going over the speed limit that's in exa- between. That's exactly Those what it is. Pricks. Rather than having like a single one flash radar, it's... That's, that's getting back to science. That's the rental mean, cars will that do that, too. the mean value theorem also? What's the mean value? Calculus. I think it's saying that if, uh, if the slope at... Okay, you've got a line segment of a continuous function. Um, if the derivative... It's basically saying if you average 60 miles an hour driving here from San Francisco, from here to San Francisco, at some point you had to be traveling exactly 60 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because otherwise yes. it'd be a non, otherwise your, your 
position uh, relative to time would be a non-continuous function. Like it had has to be right. continuous. Therefore, at some point, the slope between those two had to be the instantaneous derivative at some point. Maybe it's not the same thing. But yeah, if you got between those two points, you obviously had to be... Uh, yeah, at some point at some point in that journey, you were driving... Well, or, I mean, you can simply say... Yeah, yeah I guess you... I, sort of that... The- it's not exactly that theorem. It's something like that. But uh, yeah, if you got there... If you went 70 miles well, in, less, in, in less than an hour, then you had to be at some point traveling more than 70 miles at, an hour. At, at or at exactly or at more than 70 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. You can so, get... You can get um, charged on a rental car for going too fast based on returning it uh, within well no like they are tracking your speed they have they, oh, they have like at all times they know really? how fast the car is moving do some of not, them yeah do they, they not have to tell you if they did left the state i rented a car last uh, year and took it out of state illegally and they never knew well, that one didn't have the <laughs> yeah. like but they some of them do have like gps where they know like like the, like you trigger a a uh, a rider in the contract that you violated the contract because oh, you took shit. the car over a certain speed wow. and they know you did because they are tracking it at all times it in real of, time. It is kind of crazy that cars don't come with governors based on the highest speed limit that exists anywhere <laughs> in the country or world. Like, but, why wouldn't but that what be? If, but what if you suddenly need to get out of a dangerous situation? Like what if I mean yeah I get the reasons why but uh, you know I mean a limiter at like a hundred miles an hour is pro- or even ninety is probably sensible but what if everyone's driving at the exact speed limit and then suddenly a truck you know a truck's cutting across and you just need to gun it just to get in front of it because someone's someone's blown out a tire and is spinning across the road or whatever you know there are situations yeah. where for brief moments you have to exceed the speed limit for safety yeah I mean I don't actually advocate for uh, governors and cars or what it's if just a- what if the criminal's getting away. And they're like, follow that car. <laughs> what if a police officer has to commandeer your car? Okay. <laughs> I always thought growing up that was going to be a thing I would experience a lot more in life. You know? It's Every fun. movie. Follow that car. <laughs> it has happened. I, I can almost, I can say with, I've almost never had to <laughs> help a police officer with a high-speed car chase. <laughs> Nor have I been car cha- carjacked either. I think part of the fact that I was never commandeered was I was mostly driving a Saturn for my yeah. adult life. Like, now that I got a Mazda, maybe I'll get commandeered. Maybe. Uh, I think uh, this has been probably personal liberty and probably law. For it has. Like well, here's another, here's another question. Sorry, a letter rather from Jake Swenson. Uh, with a couple Good old of, Jake. A couple of comments about two different things, two different medical things we talked about last week. He said, first, you guys mentioned a surgical dur- duration on the dick transplant. You can fill in the gaps there, Brett. Oh, yeah, I remember sure. the dick transplant story. We were That's saying it seemed like a longish time, but... Or maybe we 14 hours. That, I, I thought that was... Said. Well, here's what Jake says. That type of transplant would be similar to a finger replantation rather than a liver, kidney, or even a heart. One... One experience from my work. So I guess heart is less complicated than kidney or liver? Interesting. I bet there's fewer nerves, right? I Maybe, mean, I guess. One experience from my work is having started an anesthetic for a double finger replantation at 7.30 in the morning and coming back the next day to finish the same surgery around 9.30 the following morning. It's a complicated network of nerves and blood vessels that need to be reconnected. 14 hours, while long, is not that long. I wonder how nerve reconnection works, because like, blood vessels make sense because it's like plumbing, but like our nerves, is that like 
electrical wiring. Feels we can just very... can you twist two ends together and then screw one of those little plastic doodads <laughs> over it? I don't know. We might need another place. medical person to write in again with a second comment. <laughs> second, the difference between lactate and lactic acid. There are a couple of people who wrote in about this, but I'll give Jake's explanation. Lactate is a fuel and lactic acid is a byproduct. In medicine, we measure lactate to determine if the patient is creating fuel for anaerobic metabolism, which indicates a lack of blood flow to vital organs. Performance athletes strive to increase the threshold for production of lactate since aerobic metabolism is a more desirable state. So they want to be able to work harder before they start to produce lactate. Yeah, which I've always thought... I I knew that part of it because I know lactate and lactic acid buildup is what happens once once you go into anaerobic respiration. So mm-hmm. as much as possible, you want to be breathing in oxygen, burning the fuel and using that to create energy. But when you basically hit the limit of how, as much of that as you can do, you, your body switches over to anaerobic, but that also tires you out. Lactic acid mm-hmm. builds up and you that's what limits, that's what causes exhaustion. That's, that's what, what you feel in your legs when you're running and exactly, while your legs hurt. Exactly. That's what limit, that's puts upper bounds on your ability to keep going. Yeah, we do sets in swimming. It's a lot of interval training, and sometimes you would do things where you're doing like an all-out sprint and then only a minute rest and then another one, just sort of the theory being that going through that pain and then having to do it right, right again sort of either increases your tolerance of the pain of that or or slows the production of lactate because your body gets used to being in that state, but those are the fucking worst. It's like the most painful, like your thighs are burning and you just have to go again and... That's uh, it's been swimming corner uh, for this episode. <laughs> also, a lot of people with uh, various New York water comments. Oh yeah, so I was like, why can't someone just figure out what's in the water and then put it in their water where they live? And someone did do that in Denver specifically. Um, a local bagel maker tested the water in New York, in Brooklyn specifically, and had a system built to replace the water contents, mostly the dissolved solids of magnesium and calcium. Um, and this listener, I didn't put his name down, said, what, I don't, what? I don't pretend to understand it or even think the bagels are particularly good, but I thought you'd be interested in knowing this. And then someone else wrote in from health, a fellow podcaster from health science podcast at health underscore podcast says New York's water is special because it regulates protection of its watersheds such that the water requires very little chemical treatment. Seattle has apparently achieved very similar results with their water management le- legislation. Yeah, I didn't know that most of, or all of New York's water comes from uh, the Catskill watershed. And let me see, there was a cool New York Times. I thought it would be from the tears of libs who have been owned by Trump. These libtards, (laughs) these snowflakes. Um, Yeah, the Catskill watershed, which feeds into the Croton watershed. Uh, But again, yeah, you think whatever they do, they can add those same things to make other water taste like that but then again some of these articles also said that blind tastes so, no one can tell no one can tell that's the, it's different. all bullshit and yeah, that's what i kind of thought it's psychosomatic like oh if it's new york water then this is a new oh, york bagel new, i love it's it a new york water <laughs> uh but one of the things in this cool infographic thing from new york times about the the process of all the water coming from the delaware and catskill watershed into new york is they showed um the 92-mile-long Catskill Aqueduct, which I didn't realize plunges 1,100 feet underneath the Hudson River, which is crazy deep what? considering it was built in... It was built a long time ago. Let me see when it was built. Building anything under a river seems like a really risky thing to do. But especially... I want to say this was like 100... Uh, I have to now find out. Catskill Aqueduct. Yeah. It was built wow. at a time when I'm like 1,100 feet of digging... 
back in this area would have been back in this era. But I tell you what, if you can play that room. <laughs> yeah, right. 1907. In 1907, they dug 100 or 1100 feet under the Hudson River. That seems impossible. That right? seems crazy to me. So that's uh, that's part of it. Is yeah, it, it travels from the Catskill watershed and doesn't have to get much treatment because the water is so good up there. So there we go. There we go. New York water. <laughs> um, we also got speaking of water slides. Um, a few sli- episodes back, I talked about my somewhat my, my feeling of guilt about re- having to do an investigative piece for a science channel show about the world's tallest water slide, which then went on to kill a kid mm-hmm. and should have been obvious in retrospect because it was so under engineered. And uh, Claire Warren wrote in, she said that uh, I shouldn't feel bad about the water slide in Kansas. She moved to the area like 20 miles from the slide a few months before it opened. And she says it was no secret to anyone, including the authorities and anyone riding the thing that it was a complete shit show. Everyone in the area knew it was a homegrown zero science. Let's see if this works here. Hold my beer event. <laughs> they were all super proud of the thing too. As yeah, the, the Grantland article I posted shows how they were just like, yeah, we're the maverick water slide designers. <laughs> we don't play uh, by anyone's rules. Yeah. This is not your daddy's water slide. It doesn't have safety. Uh, also Kansas public schools are massively underfunded. If it makes any more sense. So don't feel bad. You didn't uncover anything. Anyone didn't already know they could have stepped in any time and stopped them. And also she pointed out she's a microbiologist. So we have some more real scientists listening. Good Thank God. You, I mean, like it's crazy. Do you know never, much about this, Brett? I remember the story. The kid got decapitated, single, right? Yeah. Not a single licensed or certified engineer was involved in the design of this. They thing. never did any of the modeling, the, the computer modeling and calculation and that yeah. they legally are meant to do. <laughs> and the, the backstory to that, we talked about it a few weeks ago on the show was that, it was one of the things that we covered on the science show that Andy and I uh, both wrote on. And Andy spoke to one of the guys who made the slide. And at the time, he was like, and Andy was taking notes. I'm like, yeah, they're just eyeballing it and stuff. And my boss was like, I can't make an episode about this. I need to have some hard science. So my boss just kind of added some fake, because it was like a step-by-step. The premise how of the show was like, what if you what if you explain how to make mankind's greatest creations which i would argue tall water slide not one of them um <laughs> but doing it in sort of like an ikea instruction manual mm-hmm. we like a kind of funny but still with some actual science so, so it's like what's the ikea instruction manual for a falcon rocket right or a mars rover uh-huh. or uh what were some other big or ones? like an mri Jetpack. scanner yeah i also i was also tasked with writing how to make a flamethrower and i did a lot of research and i talked to some guys who've seen some horrible shit it turns out <laughs> if you're a flamethrower expert you probably went to nam and uh, yeah. you've seen like... the business end of a flamethrower and i guess like flamethrower operators are usually the first ones killed if they're taken prisoner like they're not held like because yeah. everyone hates a fucking flamethrower operator God, just the idea that you need to have a guy that has a thing that yeah. shoots flames and starts things on fire like so that's again so scary. that was an idea that was not mine but was assigned to me i'm like okay fine i'm gonna research fucking flamethrowers i'm gonna call it army surplus store and talk to a guy who's like still traumatized <laughs> and i delivered the script and then the network was like i don't think we could air this because it sounds like and the show is called how to build everything this segment is how to build a flamethrower and they were like the note was I, it sounds like we're telling people how to build a flamethrower <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we are so That's, i did it that is exactly well, isn't exactly. elon musk selling them now yeah, I mean, it's really sort low, of. it's low tech. All you have to have is some kind of pressurized thing that's flammable. Shooting, that's right. all it is. Yeah, it's, it's very. We've all done it with a lighter, of course. And a can WD forty, yeah. Aquanet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but hey, our friend Linda Moulton sent us a story about something, a, a peril in London right now. 
an outbreak of toxic caterpillars that can cause asthma attacks, vomiting, and skin rashes has descended on London, warn officials. Oak processionary moths, or OPM, which are in their larval stage, have been spotted across the southeast of England and in the capital. It's where I used to live. I used to live in both those bits. <laughs> Hairs on the capitals can cause on the caterpillars can cause fevers and eye and throat irritations. Sworn the Forestry Commission. Why are you getting caterpillar hairs in your throat? I don't know. You know, you just, well, here's what I think. You see a caterpillar. They're an entertaining <laughs> color. Look at that. And you oh, go like, I'm going to make some comedy eyebrows out of that. <laughs> <laughs> and a mustache. Hilarious. And it's so you go and like, there's two on the eyebrows, two on the, one on the mustache. One, and then Boom, they're in your eye, they're wrong. in your throat. <gasps> Asthma I attack. swallowed it accidentally. That's how it happens. Caterpillars. So the Forestry Commission, which is where, you know, it's the the only real government job that elves and nymphs can take in Britain. But I didn't the, think there were any public servants who weren't <laughs> elves or nymphs in Britain. No, there's a few. Okay. A few come from, you know, you can Forks. now they, they recruit at universities and stuff, but because it, it used to just be a hereditary Hob- thing. It's kind of a hobbitocracy. Oh yeah. Right. Hobbitocracy. <laughs> <laughs> so this... Um, this, the treatment program is expected to continue until late May or early June, says a spokesman. After that, the caterpillars will be too large to be affected by a pre- our preferred treatment product. That's what worries me. Hmm. So I don't know what their preferred treatment product is, but at some point around mid-June, the caterpillars will outgrow and develop complete immunity to whatever it is that they plant. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to become too large and powerful. Uh, uh. One gardener was clearing an overgrown allotment unaware that an oak tree above her was infested with OPM she suffered severe symptoms after coming in contact with them my first symptom was a rash on my tummy she says (laughs) apparently she's describing this to a 10 year old reporter (laughs) (laughs) my tum tum got a bit red red (laughs) my tum tum got a boo boo I was unaware of what it was and at first I thought it was a heat rash she said during this time, I had spells of feeling violently sick. I thought I might have shingles, which confused the 10-year-old reporter because that's a lot of <laughs> what, long words. The rash got worse, and the left side of my face became covered in this sore, irritating rash. My left eye became very sore and weepy. I, conduct, I contacted my doctor, and it was confirmed that I'd been severely affected by OPM and must keep away from the source, as over time, I developed a severe allergic reaction. She's, so I guess it gets worse over time. You don't develop an immunity. It's quite the contrary. Uh, precautions to minimize health risks do not touch or approach nests or caterpillars do not let children touch or approach nests or caterpillars <laughs> do not let animals touch or approach nests or caterpillars and also do not try removing nests or caterpillars yourself so each of the, each of these has about 62,000 hairs which they can eject the ones that fall to the ground can be active for up to five Jesus. years the wow. moths only live for two to three days in july or august it's thought that the moths were brought into the UK on trees imported from Europe for a landscape project. Fucking European landscapers coming over here, bringing their moths. Some bullshit. Um, a population of OPM established themselves in the London, West London area in 2006. So the key... Are, why, are, why isn't this a problem in Europe? Is, are they, do I, guess they have prob- a, I guess it must be as well. Yeah, it, I don't seems know. Like- it seems like it would be... Uh, maybe no one's gotten them on a boat across the channel <laughs> no but they said they came from europe oh so, okay i'm sorry I missed like it, 
do people have they been in Europe for so long that people have an immunity? I think it's more weird just immunity built up to them or fuck them. They can cope. I don't know. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. Key that's identifying features, by the way, for all our London and Southeast England listeners, they move about in nose to tail processions. As caterpillars do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, but I don't know what the difference is. Maybe they're. Are there some are the backwards of, running caterpillars that go tail to nose? Or tail to nose, I'm not sure. <laughs> or, or wiggle, like sort of worm their ways across. Crab walk with the. They often form arrow-headed processions with one leader and subsequent rows containing several caterpillars abreast. This if I saw a fucking army of caterpillars, phalanx of caterpillars. A, had made themselves into an arrow shape <laughs> and were moving toward me adorably, I would freak the fuck out. I would instantly sure. pick one up and rub it in my eyes. Yeah. This yeah, is I would eat. I would eat a few of those caterpillars. Take a good sure. sniff. Go, I bet these smell delicious. Look at how cute they are. Have a good whiff of that. They're pointing right at me. They are mostly most likely to be found in or on the ground under oak trees. Okay. So stay. Look. You spit, know, avoid caterpillars um, near oak trees. Stands for an uh, Did you guys know it was an oak tree that uh, uh, the French president uh, Macron just brought over and planted on the oh, and it got the quarantined for a bit, didn't it? Yeah. Why did he think we needed oak trees here? Well, I think it's probably to infest America with oh, these shit. killer caterpillars. OPMs. That's what I'm going to say. If, and if I can get a hold of Alex Jones tonight, yeah. that's what he will be saying tomorrow. Listen, America, <laughs> I don't know why I sound like Jesse Ventura, but I'm Alex Jones. Are you down with OPM? He's a good impression yeah, you know when you have to him. say the name of the person you're doing the impression I'm, of in the first sentence. Oh my God, Matt. Matt just, I'm Abraham Lincoln now. Uh, this is how Abraham Lincoln talks. Uh, Matt just posted the best video from the White House Correspondents Dinner the year after Colbert did oh, it God, in 2007. Because everyone was doing their nut about Michelle Wolf, and I found... Yeah, so the, remember, the, the, there was the mini outrage again, like similar bullshit when... Colbert was the guest mm -hmm. and so the next year they booked Rich Little <laughs> for the audience as how most, long? for I younger listeners for younger listeners and also American relevant in non, like 78 to 81 maybe so not, and also non-American listeners he's he's an he's an impressionist back when the bar was very low for impressionists very, yeah. very low bo both in he terms of like, accuracy of impression and and, and jokes punch Punchiness yeah, of jokes. He was like a big Richard Nick. He would do a Richard Nixon impression. And, 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 did, like, he's he's a genius, and he did in 2006 <laughs> at the White House Correspondents' Dinner for I'm gonna say five to six minutes. Nice. <sighs> but there, he also at one point did an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression that went on for about a minute, and I tweeted that out in its entirety. <laughs> and it's just as good as oh, every 13 year old that. boy who saw Terminator 2. You know, it's it is like, basically like or China Man. I have no, that, you know, never mind. Is that a movie? No. Oh. I have no, no ability to do impressions, and I'm pretty confident. You could do as good of a rich little. Like, I am Arnold. That's it. Get <laughs> out. California. There's a bomb in there. <laughs> even, even doing that noise just then, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get as far as that. He <laughs> couldn't do that. And they were just polite applause. <laughs> like it was like someone's nephew got on stage. I need like, to watch that. To, he wants to be a comic. I did. Like. He he did get some pretty heavy laughs from a couple of jokes in the middle of his Johnny Carson impression. <laughs> which Timely came 2007 it. Johnny Carson impression. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, that's uh, is that that's what they want apparently. Oh, uh, by the way, if I get this up in time, um, 
no, I guess this is going to be out forever. But uh, tomorrow is the long-awaited Dennis Miller jokes about Michelle. Oh, that's going to be big. He gave himself a seventy-two-hour window to write God, some Michelle. Wolf that jokes. is. To be fair, I, to be fair, I, I got pulled up on this because I, I tweeted a couple of things about that. And I stand by the one of them, but the the seventy-two hours, the, the giving himself until Wednesday, that isn't that is a joke intentional on Dennis Miller's part that he knew he was doing. My friend Simon, uh, Simon Evans, another comic, pulled me up on that. I was like, yeah, that's the joke he's making. Like, he, The joke he was making is Michelle Wolf is so unknown that it's going to take three days oh. of research before I know enough about her to I even write even a joke about that. her. That's, I didn't that's, either. Okay, now I feel a little bit... That's uh, the joke. Yeah. That is the joke he was doing. That's how thick... And unfunny Dennis Miller jokes have become <laughs> yeah. that, that they we can't even be unwrapped. His... No, honestly, well, maybe that was. I can good. usually tell. Mm-hmm. I did not even consider that as an option. He could have worded that better because he's make so that deeply unfunny joke. now that you didn't even th- you weren't even passing it for humor. No, I didn't even occur to me that he meant that. That's what he meant. But that actually would have been a funny joke if he could have made it properly yeah that that's the joke he was doing i presume <laughs> is just i feel like i've been taken in now i mean t- not taken in but i feel like i have no sense it, of humor it really yeah, it really backfired because man he looked like a real fucking but the rest idiot. of it as well is just like the re- everything surrounding that bit as well he looks like, like yeah, a tool. yeah yeah but and also but we should then direct our listeners again to we haven't plugged it in quite a while <laughs> The listener at Mac J on Twitter made us an amazing. We we had the idea of like, what isn't it? Can't you just make a fucking algorithm that will churn out a Dennis Miller joke if you just plug in right? right this person is so X, they ads. make yeah. Y look like Z. Like, yeah. Was, and so, listener made that thing. So you just click refresh, and it makes a Dennis Miller joke, and That's he just updated great. it to be a Michelle Wolf joke generator. Mm-hmm. So now, if you go to Dennis Miller bot, is that correct? Dot Tumblr dot com. Uh, let I'm ninety percent sure that's right. The N key has stopped working on my keyboard, and I forgot to get the, I forgot to get the three year insurance on my warranty rather uh, on my MacBook. I'm so yes, pissed off. Dennis Millerbot.tumblr.com Michelle Wolf edition. Um, if you click on the button, it says Michelle Wolf is so. Click the button. I just got Michelle Wolf is so melancholic. She makes Niccolo Machiavelli look like William Jennings. <laughs> <William's> Jennings. <laughs> William Jennings. Brian. God. Whereas I got Michelle Wolf is so wooden. She makes Duke Ellington look like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> Michelle Wolf is so munificent. She makes Luciana Pavarotti look like Judy Carn. <laughs> Michelle Wolf is so unappealing. She makes Amarillo Slim look like Slim Pickens, which is a crazy coincidence. They both were slim. That was yeah. random. Michelle Wolf is so penitent. She looks. She makes Bob Fosse look like Irving Berlin. Michelle Wolf is so meek. She makes Max von Sydow look like Renny Reifenstahl. <laughs> so yeah, go to DennisMillerBot.tumblr.com. Uh, um, I don't know who both these people are. <laughs> Michelle Wolf is so reclusive. She makes Maury Amsterdam look like well, Curly Neal. Part of the. Hey, wait a second. Isn't Maury Amsterdam one of the guys on the Dick Van Dyke show? Uh, maybe I don't know. Wait, am part I part of the part of the reason that and that is Curly original Larry Curly and part of the reason that original Dennis Miller joke doesn't work? The Wednesday thing. Like I'm gonna do some research on Michelle Wolf, and I'll have something funny on Wednesday. Is that now with the internet? It doesn't matter how unfamous you are. It won't take till Wednesday. So people don't think that way anymore. It's not like you have to go dig through microfish at the library. (laughs) So people aren't... So, I mean, we're not conditioned to 
to think that way anymore. Like it won't take a long time. Like I like, like you're the excusing joke, the fact. You're words, excusing me from not getting the joke. And I yeah, it's yeah. but but it's like you being famous doesn't equate not or you being not famous doesn't equate to you being it taking to long yeah. yeah to research it, it's not a thing it's, that's all, gone we're now. all visible Murray Amsterdam right. is he used to play Buddy Sorrell on the Dick oh, Van yeah, Dyke yeah. show he's one okay. of the one of the writers on the show okay babe uh, Michelle and who was Wolf, the other one Curly Michelle Wolf is so frustrated she makes Dorothy Dandridge look like Pliny the Elder babe <laughs> Uh, I'm doing Dennis Miller now. <laughs> the other one was Curly Neal. Do you know who Curly Neal is? The yeah. basketball okay. player. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. It wasn't Curly from the Street Stooges. That's Curly Howard. Ah. Yeah, Curly Neal was the uh, the bald uh, Harlem Globetrotter. Oh, okay. You sure are correct. I reference the mm-hmm. Globetrotter. All I can name is Metal Arc Lemon. Is that one? Yeah, they were teammates. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, of course they were. They're both Globetrotters. <laughs> but they played at the same time, too. There oh, was, okay. In the 70s, when the Harlem Globetrotters were big, it was Metal Arc, Lemon, and Curly Neal. Curly Wait, Neal why you, was... Why do you know about the, the I know a little bit about uh, the uh, Globetrotters. Curly Neal was the, uh, the dribbling guy. He was the guy who would dribble around. Like the one guy on the other team would chase him, and he would be dribbling. He would dribble through his legs, and he would slide on his knees and like go between people's legs and pop back up and dribble away. Like That yeah. was his... Thing for the Globetrotters is he was the guy who could do the crazy dribbling. How did it work? I should know this, but like I know that there is the is it the generals that always lose. Mm-hmm. So would they travel together and they would mm-hmm. always play each other, or was were the other losing teams? Yeah, it was a bunch play? of white guys, and that was, it was the, really two teams that would travel together and yes. put on the same show for every yes. city. Yeah. And, they, and they once accidentally lost. They accidentally won it. The generals <laughs> won once. Yeah, but, but like the, the best part is that. I mean, the Washington Generals were all are all white guys. Okay, like, so, it, so, so the original dynamic was definitely that this Harlem team <laughs> is going to just beat oh. the shit out of these terrible white white guys are terrible at basketball. Like, it's if if it was if it was portrayed in the it's ra- it's like a racist it's like hilariously it's, racist uh, right, but thing it's to not, do. It's, it's on the right side of racism, <laughs> yes, though, or yes, something, I yes. guess. But wait, were those guys, yes. were the Generals players, did they recruit them because they were competent basketball players who I'm, knew how to play badly if they wanted I, to play I think play that badly, must have been or? part of it, yeah. I'm I mean, sure they weren't actually incompetent, right? They couldn't have been, like, not to the level. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, mean, I think just to even put on the show, you need to you be have pretty to be, good. It's like yeah. playing guitar badly. You kind of have to play guitar right. really well to know how to play it right. badly. Yeah, because like, they have to be badly. basketball if had, players. If you just had someone like me on the team, it would just be. It would just wouldn't even be fun. It would, right. just, want to be like, <laughs> <laughs> it would just watch people just dribbling right. around a panicking man. <laughs> yeah, I want to go now. I want to do a deep dive. I'm sure there's some podcast that's done a whole episode the, on there the There are the ten people who've been officially named as honorary members of the team. The first of the generals or the Globetrotters. The Globetrotters. Okay. The first of them, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> then Bob Hope. Okay. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Whoopi Goldberg. Nelson Mandela. Uh, Jackie, His highest honor, by the way. Yeah, Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Uh, Pope John Paul II. Oh, interesting. Jesse Jackson. They spin the ball in his hat. Yeah. Pope Francis. They love popes. And then Robin Roberts. Who's that? She's the anchor of Good Morning America. She's always she's the tall black woman you always see on the Oscars red carpet as well. She's a recent anchor of Good she, Morning America? She is currently, yeah. Currently, okay. I and think I know that. She used to be on ESPN. You, she's this person. You'd recognize her. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. So she's an honorary... Is she a former... Did she play college ball? I could see her being a... Possibly. Yeah. She's a tall person. 
Um, also, two honorary $1 a year lifetime contracts with the Globetrotters were given to Magic Johnson and Bill Cosby. Oh, whoops. Dr. Bill Cosby? Uh, <laughs> Who gave him his honorary doctorate and have they rescinded it? But apparently... Oh, uh, yeah, I think all... Yeah. yeah when, he, and also really? the Globetrotters yeah. have rescinded their association with him as well. <laughs> I remember seeing that in the credits like of the Cosby show towards the end. I think he might have added this as like, a, you have to put me in as an EP, but as Dr. William Cosby or Dr. William H. Cosby or something. And I was always like, is that someone related to him or does he just need to have that in the credits? And I think uh-huh. it was just his credit he gave himself to remind you he has, if I could honor a doctorate, the last he thing made, I would ever ask someone to do is call me doctor. Yeah, he, you know, he made the people on set, he was referred to as Mr. Cosby. Like as even or Mr.? Mr. Oh. But even like Felicia Rashad oh. and like everybody, yeah. where they called him Mr. Cosby. You know, like, I, I'm starting he's to that think, much of an asshole. I'm starting to think he's not a good guy. Might not be a good guy. <laughs> Uh, very rarely, Washington Generals players have been promoted to the Globetrotters. What? Derek Dizzy Grant was transferred in 2010, and Jonty okay. Tool Hall made the transition in 2011. Okay, that's Paul, recent then, in Paul my Sturges, world. yeah. Because back in the day when I would go, like when the Globetrotters came through the Midwest, and oh, the Globetrotters, let's go to Peoria and see the Globetrotters, there definitely was all white guys on the uh-huh. other team. And, you know. Paul Sturgis made the opposite transition. Oh, the former Globetrotter after a few you seasons playing for the other, the other team, team. <laughs> was transferred back into the setup as part of the arranged opposition. The seven foot eight inches Sturgis adopts the persona of Kaja, a, ma- a masked adversary <laughs> who adopts a villainous role. Okay, I'll admit but I don't know it's, it's, pro wrestling, but that sounds like is yeah, that, it's, it's a heel turn, like, right? Is that what they call that? I guess so. Yeah, no wrestling turns either. Into, turns into a bad guy. It got it went off the rails a little bit for the Globetrotters at the end and now it's like it's a hard sell now because there's actually that that uh team that basketball team like barnstorming team that's sponsored by and one the shoe company what you can go look look at these videos all the time they used to have them on uh they used to have their own like show the where these are just like basketball playing uh like these are just kids guys who are just really good at basketball uh-huh. like street basketball and they will just i mean they'll, they'll they'll take on anybody like they travel around and they'll 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 play anybody and they'll go around and they'll play like bring your best players out here and they'll still do globetrotter style tricks on them. you and beat them and beat them soundly and they do the stuff like it's all this <laughs> stuff where like a guy will be dribbling back and forth and he just keeps doing that until the defender gets going so hard that <laughs> he, he chooses the side that then, he basically yeah. falls over you know it's like ankle breaking crossover <laughs> dribble there's like a famous thing and then everybody points and laughs it's like you know ridiculous and then they throw up a lob and some guy just slams it home oh, that's so awesome. they're, they're basically doing what the globetrotters do but without having with, the fake with the, yes. the fake opposition and every t- town they go to the people on the opposition think this is their chance to get on the team. So they're like legitimately playing players who think they're badasses. And then sometimes those players do get asked to join. There was like a whole... Has this team lost? They must have lost. Oh, they they lose sometimes, but their highlights are are ridiculous. What do they call the league that they're in? I don't... There's no league. They just do like... like, These like... Yeah. Exhibitions. Exhibitions. Yeah, yeah. And it's sponsored by uh, And One, but it, some, of it's, some of it's pretty sick. I gotta look that up. And One Basketball. 
Mm-hmm. Is that the best way to find it? All right. Should we do think, another science story while you look it up? Science. Sure. Yeah. Uh, do you want a space story? Well, let's do space. Justin Broughton in a couple. There was um, a new space telescopy type thing that has. Hang on, I've just lost the article now. I had it a second ago. SpaceX. Uh, SpaceX. Uh, NASA contracted with SpaceX to launch their telescope. Oh, really? Yeah. I know. Well, they do a lot of stuff. Each they work together now. Yeah, but, that's um, pretty cool. I didn't realize that. There's a that. launch coming up in the next couple of weeks here on the West Coast somewhere. Oh, cool. Launch. I've got to try. I still never been to one. And like, if it's at a time that I'm not having to be in the office, I would love to. You can't get that close, but you can get close enough to sort of see it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the darkness instrument will block stars and reveal their planets 100 million times fainter than the star. So the hunt for planets beyond our solar system has led to the discovery of thousands of candidates in the past few decades. Most of these have been gas giants that range in size from being super Jupiters to Neptune-sized planets. However, several have also been determined to be Earth-like in nature, meaning they're rocky and orbit within their stars' respective habitable zones. Unfortunately, determining what conditions might be like on their surfaces is different, sorry, difficult, since astronomers are unlikely, unable to study these planets directly. Luckily, an international team led by UC Santa Barbara physicist Benjamin Mazin has developed a new instrument known as Darkness. The it's Darkness is in all caps, which makes me think they've come up with a very bad acronym. <laughs> I will find yeah. this out for yeah, you Yeah, something shortly. that, you know that a couple of those, like the K didn't really have to be in there. They yeah, had they've had find to find a word that started. If it is an acronym, I can guarantee at least two of those letters are an abominable fudge. <laughs> See if you can track it the, down while I read the The link through there does not, oh no, I'm sorry. Okay. How about deep? It's okay. Here's how hey, bad it is. Should we try and guess it? Well, <laughs> are we even going to get? Cl- we, is it so unguessable that we're not even going to get? Cl- it's unguessable in that it's not a. It's not. It's half an acronym and half just a word. So the dark part stands for the word dark. Uh, uh, so dark and then NESS stands for something. Dark. Dark. Is no possible, neuro. Right? Nope. Not neuro. Is, is not space night, one of the night. S's? Nope. Uh. uh sight no. seeing. Dark. No, think of you gotta do N E S S. Yeah. So Yeah, there's no possible way. Never. It stands for the dark speckled, which doesn't I wait. Speckled this? has to be lowercase. So it doesn't even fit in. Don't include speckled. <laughs> the dark speckle <laughs> near or the capital N. Near. near infrared, infrared, not capitalized. Then again it's a compound modifier, hyphenated. Uh the dark speckle near infrared energy resolved. Resolved also not capitalized, hyphenated. The dark speckle near infrared energy resolved superconducting spectrophotometer. Okay, that's pretty much what I would have guessed. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. So I was just about to say that, and you wouldn't let me... It's the first 10,000-pixel integral field spectrograph designed to overcome the limitations of traditional semiconductor detectors. So they should have called mm-hmm. it the Dark SNES. Dark SNES, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is like the Dark NES, but more bits. Mm-hmm. Better games. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got F-Zero and uh, Star Fox. And... Um, the superconducting... So the, the Dark SNES... Which I'm going to call it sure, from now on. This darkness, the superconducting camera, which is the world's largest and most sophisticated, will allow astronomers to detect planets around nearby stars. The team's study, which de- that details their instruments, titled Darkness, a microwave kinetic inductance detector integral field spectrograph for high contrast astronomy. Catchy title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, uh, or, as it's called, 
or darkness am recently appeared recently appeared in the publication of the Astronomy Society of the Pacific which is one of the chillest astronomy publications. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got a tiki themed. <laughs> it's, it's the only it's it's the only scientific publication that has a cocktail of the week <laughs> and a, a coconut brassiere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just relax. Do yeah. some science. <laughs> Enjoy. The team was led by Benjamin Mazin. <sighs> Uh, at UCSB and also includes members from the NASA's J- JPL and uh, the California Institute of Technology, Fermi, National Accelerator mm-hmm. Lab and multiple universities. This is a big collaboration. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's extremely difficult for scientists to study exoplanets directly because of the interference caused by their stars. I mean, that makes sense. Like, yeah. as Mazin explained, taking a picture of an exoplanet is extremely challenging because the star is much brighter than the planet and the planet is very close to the star. Yeah, I mean, then that makes sense. You've, it's one of the brightest sources of light it's possible to have is basically immediately next to or yeah. behind it. Um, as such, astronomers are often unable to analyze the light being reflected off of a planet's atmosphere to determine its composition. These studies would help place additional constraints on whether or not a planet is potentially habitable. At present, scientists are forced to determine if a planet could support life based on its size, mass, and distance from the star. In addition, studies have been conducted that have determined whether or not water exists on a planet's surface based on how its atmosphere loses hydrogen to space. So, oh, it's got it's got the acronym spelled out down here. I could oh, have yeah. just cheated. <laughs> I could have guessed it and blown your mind and you <laughs> would never have suspected that it was lower down in this article. The dark speckle near-infrared energy resolved superconducting spectro... Photometer. I, I think when you guessed that speckled was in there, but not part of it, it would have been a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, yeah as soon as you say speckled, it's, uh... And also resolved as well. They've also lowercase resolved. Yeah. And infrared. They've cheated a lot of this. But I, I, to be fair, I think if you've got a compound modifier, that can be treated as one word for the purpose of capitalization, mm-hmm. maybe? No? I think it should be the dark sneerest. I respect that they know how to use a hyphen. I feel like so many people these days have lost that skill. Okay. So we'll lose points for the clunky acronym, but gain some points for good hyphen work. <laughs> You've made a thorough case there, Andy, and I respect your tenacity. Listen, I, Chicago manual style. I have no idea if that's what it says. <laughs> the first 10,000 pixel integral field spectrograph seeks to correct this. In conjunction with a large telescope and adaptive optics, it uses microwave kinetic inductance detectors to quickly measure the light coming from a distant star. That's I what I've been telling you all the time. I know. Yeah. It's like, why haven't they listened? Then it sends a signal back to a rubber mirror mm-hmm. that can form uh, a new shape 2,000 times a second. And it's real bouncy. It really yeah. is. It's also good for, you know, if you're checking your, how your fetish wear is looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my my mirror is a rubber and yours is like glue so it's <laughs> on me it sticks to you that's just how it works that's science yeah MKIDs these microwave kinetic inductance detectors allow astronomers to determine the energy and arrival time of individual photons which is important when it comes to distinguishing a planet from scattered or reflected light this process also eliminates red noise and dark current uh, which are the primary sources of error in other instruments, and cleans up the ast- atmospheric distortion by suppressing the starlight. 
Sounds like they got it all worked out. Got it all going. Yeah, I mean, am I correct in thinking that the only way we found exoplanets in the past was based on uh, transits in front of the star that I they think, were orbiting, I or think, based on the wobble? Yeah, I think orbiting. those are the two main methods they use. So they, I don't know if there are others now, but what they generally look at is they look at the stars and they look for two different things: either the star, the light from the star, periodically dimming and getting brighter again which indicates that something Some is passing in front, in front of it, it right or a slight wobble in its path which suggests that there's something whose gravitational field is slightly mm-hmm. affecting it because like we orbit the sun but the sun also slightly orbits us it's just way more massive so like we affect the position of the sun tiny a tiny bit as we go around it mm-hmm. yeah like as if you have two the other things planets. that have the same mass orbiting each other they'd both be spinning but uh... yeah so I believe those are the two main ways that they find exoplanets um this discover this technology will lower the contrast floor so we can detect fainter planets. We hope to approach the photon noise limit, which will give us contrast ratios close to 10 to the minus 8, allowing us to see planets 100 million times fainter than the star. At those contrast levels, we can see some planets in reflected light, which opens up a whole, whole new domain of planets to explore. The really exciting thing is that this is a technology pathfinder for the new next generation of telescopes. Cool. So, da- Good work, team. Yeah. Yeah, it's now operational. Of the two two hundred inch Hale telescope in San Diego, where it's part of the Palm three thousand Extreme Adaptive Optics System, and the Stellar Double Coronagraph. We got a of lot of words is. in this. It does feel like someone wrote someone writing the script just wrote like a jargon in brackets, and then someone else had to come through and fill it in afterwards. <laughs> right. Like, have you guys seen that? Um, I didn't realize until I tweeted out a SNL sketch from the 90s. It was kind of like this, that there was a thing that predates... It was maybe like World War II era technical paper that was full of complete gibberish. Like, it was a manual for non-existent thing that was just like... For countersink reflux and dorsal flanges, use yeah, uh, right, right. yeah, and I guess it's been repurposed. People made videos like actual. Was it how, what was the original thing? Was it intentional or was it? Yeah, it was a joke. It was an engineer joke, and then it's been reshot. The best version of it was like 1970s guy who was a professional corporate internal thing. You know, he would make internal videos for like Ford or something, uh-huh. and he's pointing to all these mechanical parts and giving them these gibberish names, but. I didn't know about that. I just saw the Chris Farley sketch that Phil Hartman narrated that was an ad for um, <laughs> Nelson countersink flanges and dorsal flanges. <laughs> and it was like Chris Farley and Rob Schlater are two guys in a factory who was like, ah, countersink reflow, not again. He's like, has this happened to you? Um, but now I can't fucking pull... I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'll look it up after we record. But it's a great... The history of it's great because people have, like, every couple decades, someone's done a new version of it and maybe updated some of yeah. the terminology, but it's just, like, complete well, techno babble. It's like the, uh, to me, it's that reminds me of the Steve Martin's plumbing joke. You remember that? It was, like, classic from, I think it was on the uh, Let's Get Small album, where he announces that there's a convention of plumbers that came to the show. They uh-huh. mentioned to him that there's a convention of plumbers oh, in town. Oh, yes, he's going to do some they jokes all came just for them. He's going to do some jokes just for the plumbers. If you're not a plumber, <laughs> you're not going to get this joke, but, you know, it's nice. And then he launches into this joke that's just like a plumber and his apprentice are working on an S-shaped module, and it's the same thing. And he's like, so they check page 42 of the Kinsley manual, and it says an L-shaped bracket can be used with a 9-volt square. And then, like... And it gets to the punchline, of course, and he's like, so the plumber turned to his apprentice and he said, I said socket, not sprocket. <laughs> and it's just 
Silence. And then he's like, hey, this plumber's going to be here tonight or tomorrow night. <laughs> and you realize it's just spent five minutes setting that stupid That's thing awesome. up. I found uh, it. Uh, if, if you look up Turbo and Cabulator, you'll find an extensive Wikipedia article. Turbo the first use of it was 1944 when a British institute of institution of electrical engineers students quarterly journal had uh this technical description and uh, the best version of it was done i think in the 70s at regan studios in detroit here's a little bit of it for a number of years now work has been proceeding in order to bring perfection to the crudely conceived idea of a transmission that would not only supply inverse reactive current for use in unilateral phase detractors but would also be capable of automatically synchronizing cardinal grammeters. Such an instrument is the turbo encapulator. Now, basically, the only new principle involved is that instead of power being generated by the relative motion of conductors and fluxes, it is produced by the modial interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance. The original machine had a base plate of prefamulated amulite surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. The latter consisted simply of six hydrocoptic marzal veins so fitted to the ambifacient lunar wane shaft that side fumbling was effectively prevented. The main winding was of the normal lotus or delta type placed in panendermic semi-boloid slots of the stator, every seventh conductor being connected by a non-reversible tremie pipe to the differential girdle spring on the up end of the Grammys. <laughs> the turbo-encabulator has now reached a high level of development, and it's being successfully used in the operation of Novertrunians. Moreover, whenever a fluorescent score motion is required, it may also be employed in conjunction with a drawn reciprocation dingle arm to reduce sinusoidal replenition. It's not cheap, but I'm sure the government <laughs> will buy it. Turbo encapulator. And there's many variants. Uh, is there a more recent one? There was one in the 80s, the Rockwell retro encapulator. Yeah, look them up. It's worth a couple minutes on the internet. <laughs> um. Hey, we'll put a link to that on this Squarespace-powered Probably Science website. Yes. Where you can also find a donation button. Oh, what? Yeah. We've had some nice people donate money to the podcast. There's a few that Annie's going to have to find quickly while I look up the others. I know Leanne Mejia has donated money. The monthly donations come through. Jake Swenson, Peter Lipschey, Emma Wilton. Who else have you found, Andy? Uh, we had Patrick Adam Chalkley. We had a generous donation from... Well, while you're finding that, can I also thank Rachel Karanek, who set up some uh, automatic Facebook posting for us? Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, that Callum, was very cool of you. Callum Gleason, Drew Chapman, Matthew Arnold, Vikram Bhatt, Pandora Young. I think I have one... Or two more. Uh, Austin Walsworth, I think, is a new monthly donor. Thank you for setting that up, Austin. Two more. Stephen Edmonds and Keith Statenfield. Thank you Thank all you for donating. Thank you, all of you. What nice people. I know. Right? What? Yeah, very, very nice people helping us run this thing, donating money, setting up monthly donations, or sometimes people do individual one-off donations. The other way you can also help, of course, is by spreading the word, tweeting, Facebooking, writing nice things about us on iTunes, all that kind of good stuff, because that does help. Yeah. Oh, I, I just realized we forgot to mention in the Golden State Killer thing. Did we even mention Michelle McNamara? Are we assuming we everyone knows that part of the story or not? Uh, we can mention it. Uh, yeah, I think it's notable that part of the reason that that 
the light was shown on that cold case was because crime writer Michelle McNamara had dedicated her her life to trying to crack this cold case. And she was almost done with the book when she died a couple of years ago. And uh, the book was put out after her passing. And it's pretty amazing that now they found the guy and it's partly due to her shining a light on that. And, um, you know, she she, she came married- up with the name. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did. The guy didn't even have a, a like. A, they had like different names for it for the guy, and then she's like, "Why don't you just have one name that covers the whole thing of all the shit he that's did the instead of right. the East Bay uh, area rapist?" It's like, well, yeah, but that's one part one of, of one of the things. things. Also he also murders. did a bunch of other <laughs> stuff in a bunch of other areas. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I want to go check it out. And Patton Oswalt, uh, his her husband, uh, wrote the forward i think for that um so yeah it's it's just it's i'm happy for him that there is this closure to this thing that was her sort of life's project so it's even it's even more uh i saw a little bit of what Patton was saying about this it's like it's a big part of I, I did, it's way too much of a stretch to say it's what killed her but she was so obsessed with it yeah that I mean, she was spending so much time on it and she was so fascinated that she wasn't sleeping. She wasn't sleeping well, yeah. And then she started to get on medication. Like, it, it really took over her life. It wasn't like she was just a, a passion she had. Like, it took over her life. Yeah. And then it, it that was good and bad, you know? It's yeah. fa- that story itself, to me, is fascinating. I think, yeah, she was not sleeping. So he was like, listen, I'll get up and take care of the kids tomorrow. You just have a night where you just sleep till you get up. And yeah. I think she just, like, took a Xanax and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it led to a, a whole number of health issues for her. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's too bad that she's not here to see that. But yeah, that's how deeply entrenched in that story yeah. she was. She couldn't get away from it. Hey, you know who else is deeply entrenched? Uh, who? Uh, divers in the bar. The I don't know how you pronounce their name. Bajau, B A J A U, Bajau people of Southeast Asia who are known for holding their breath for long periods of time while spearing fish and gathering other seafood. Mm-hmm. They uh, wearing handmade wooden goggles. There's another story Justin Ross what? sent in. What? How do you see through wooden goggles? Handmade <laughs> <laughs> wooden goggles. Uh, it's spot, very thin. Yeah. They'll spot a giant clam, for example, meters below and dart down to retrieve it. Uh, during a typical day, these sea nomads, as they are known, who gather fish and other seafood, spend up to five hours in total underwater. Not in a row. And the evolutionary geneticists... <laughs> I gotta believe. No, just so they can actually hold their breath okay. for five hours. But <laughs> evolutionary geneticist Melissa Elado uh, watched them and was fascinated by the fact that she heard that some of them can hold their breath for as long as 13 minutes that's, during a dive. That can't be possible. Well, can I, it? That's crazy. That definitely... That definitely is possible because I know the world record for how long people have held their breath underwater is fifteen or so. It's longer than that. Like the the now the world record's ridiculous. It's I think so there are different categories 18. though. Like there's some oxygen assisted ones. Well, there's and ones where you. It depends how mo- mobile you are as well. How much you move first and how much or whether you're just lit in a tank and you go underwater a little bit and then you come back up again. And whether you can inhale pure oxygen beforehand. Yeah, that definitely helps. The, yeah. Either way, what they do is they load up they sort of they, they train for a long long time oh, no I just do it one off <laughs> but they hold my beer but before they even go underwater the foot before they start the process they spend several minutes hyperventilating right yeah and loading up their 
David Blaine is into this. He did. did. You know he was. Yeah. He's I, like one of the guys. He's what he's world class. He, at it. Apparently so. So their comfort with breath hold diving may apparently be due to having unusually large spleens, hmm. which provides a bigger supply of oxygenated red blood cells. Uh, report Elado and colleagues. Many Bahau, Bajau, I, children learn to swim before they learn to walk, she says. Uh, well, uh, she researched, by the way, she's part of the um, University of Copenhagen. Certain seal species have larger spleens, and she wondered if it was the same was true for these people. When a mammal holds its breath and dives, the body responds by slowing the heart rate, constricting blood vessels in the extremities, and contracting the spleen to release stored oxygenated blood cells. More than 50 Bahau, Bajau, from the coastal village of Jaya Bhakti provided spit samples for DNA testing and allowed Elado to take spleen measurements with ultrasound. She and her colleagues compared the data with those from similar samples given by another ethnic group called the Salawan, who live about 25 kilometers away in the coastal village of Koyan, but don't spend much time in the water. The These spleens were about 50% larger than the Salawans. That is a fair amount. It's a big spleen. DNA tests showed that they had genetic variations associated with spleen size. So... I, that goes some way to answering the question of what is a spleen other than a thing that can rupture. Right. I thought it was one of those organs you can live without. Is that not true? I thought you could get it removed and be fine. I don't know. Is that just Not if you want to die for clams, buddy. Live. Right, yeah. Wait, can you live without a spleen is the third option. <laughs> Wait, when you typed in how many words? Yeah. Can you live, like, can you live with... Without a spleen is the third, really. The, 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 all but one of them is... Can you live without A? Do you want to guess what the other four organs are um, that people are asking about? Well, I just did it myself. Let me see if I get the same ones as you do. The first thing I'm seeing is spleen. And then I'm seeing liver, pancreas, spine, and kidney. Yep. Spine? That's... Um, Can you live without a spine? Hmm. Uh, according to Wikibooks... No. No. <laughs> you cannot live without a spinal column. <laughs> Well, I mean, like you can have a high up fracture, or you can have a high up severing of it and still live. You just can't. But you move have a spine. You still have to have a spine. So you hmm. can live without a spleen. The spleen filters blood and helps the body fight infections, but is not essential for survival. However, people with without a spleen are more prone to infection. Yeah. Okay. There you go. You Got to be well, careful. Where did venting your spleen come from? As a as a saying. Oh, well, that's what? the thing you used to do back in the day. Like, if you were angry, you'd go into a room and vent your spleen out. <laughs> Stupid spleen. Are you looking at that's venting at your Have you heard that term or not? I've, I've never heard of that oh, before. Yeah. It's an idiom uh, meaning to get rid of one's feelings of anger. And um, according to thefreedictionary.com, I don't see any <laughs> medical... It's, it's uh, not a thing. Mm, uh, I mean, is it, is it a place that's... Historic, like, it would make sense if it was like a thing that like uh, was doing what your livers do or something like filtering yeah. out bad shit so it's full of huh hmm. in European me- medicine from the middle ages until the 19th century the spleen was thought to be the source of the humors that oh, okay. caused the emotion of anger therefore one could expel anger by venting the spleen mm-hmm. as in metaphorically they don't say yep. they would actually open up your abdomen no. and vent your and spleen it, and it differs from spilling one's guts which means to devolve 
divulge a secret mm-hmm. Where or would confess. That come from? Is that like a torture thing? Or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting very far away from <laughs> science. This now, is probably science. Probably. I'll. I, I mean, the fourth called probably science. It's called probably science. We've always had that as our out. It was the best <laughs> possible name for this podcast, no matter what happens. <laughs> Oh, speaking of that, did we have any more corrections? I feel like we got some more emails. But I'm sure we, we did. Um, oh, we had someone write in who was a high school track coach, and he said, I'll be glad to spend a couple minutes on the phone with you and talk to you about what some various 200-meter times mean and their plausibility for non-professionals. So Brian Graca Agresa said he's willing to, to give us some info as a high school track coach for 16 years and the supervisor of his high school's math department. So we should hit him up and see what uh, this is. Brett, this goes back to a couple episodes back. We were trying to guess what we could do, whether Matt could run 100 meters faster than the world record holder runs 200 meters. And I think it's safe to say you can do 100 in under 20 seconds. Right, Matt? I'm, I'm fairly certain I can. Yeah. And I, yeah. I get to test this, but I'm pretty sure I can. I, I still, it, I'm still pretty sure I can run 100 meters faster than Usain Bolt can run 200. Have you seen the videos of the freeze? What's that? Do you know the freeze? No. It's like a, uh, it's a baseball, I think maybe minor league. It's a, a contest they do. This guy, the freeze, is really fast, and he's in like this all-white outfit. And then like they started. Like hard things? Like yeah, and they start face. almost like that. Yeah, and it's all white. And they start in like one corner of the outfield, and they run along the outfield fence. So you run from left field to right field, and the the person from the crowd who's running against the freeze and wins free tickets or whatever, they give gives him like a 50 or 60 yard head start. The crowd takes, person gets the head start. Yeah, they take the off freeze. running and they're like, right, they're so far ahead. You think there is zero chance this, this person's going to catch him. And then he catches them all, every single time. But there's one, the one that made it go viral was there was one guy, like, like a 20 year old kid who was obviously a track runner. Dr- no, he was drunk. He was running and he was in front. <laughs> And he thought for sure he was going to win. He starts putting his hands up, you know, like, yeah. And he's like, you know, waving to the crowd yeah, to like yeah, yeah. For, for applause and like, yeah, come on, come on. And then the freeze goes right past him right at the end <laughs> and surprises him so much that he just face plants into the dirt <laughs> and like face planted without, without like putting his hands down. Like, oh, you know, like shit. when your face hits and your feet go up. Like, <laughs> Scorpion. Scorpion. Yeah, yeah. Really embarrassing and hilarious. That's awesome. What team is it? I don't know, but I, I think the guy's called The Freeze. It's just one of those I saw like a couple of weeks ago getting stuck on the internet doing stupid things. Who is The Freeze and why does he keep beating Braves fans? <laughs> oh, there <laughs> it is. The Atlanta Braves. <laughs> oh, I've, i got to dig into this. Yeah, I want to see this. Bad <laughs> fools during Race Against The Freeze. There we go. <laughs> we'll one, put right? that in the show notes so you can enjoy <laughs> that in its entirety. Oh, he's quick. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling he's you. He's limber. fast, man. <laughs> Okay, yeah, this is it. <laughs> yeah, face plant. He's so close, too. He was so close. Of course, yeah. he's in, like, cargo shorts. Backwards baseball cap. Backwards yeah. ball cap. Yeah, here he comes. He's like, yeah. And the freeze is in, like, a full in. body suit. Like and a blue goggles, body suit. like, ski goggles. Oh, oh, oh he did put his hands down. Like and then, he just, head start. then he just lays down. <laughs> That's awesome. The freeze. Good stuff. Thank you for alerting us to this. Mm-hmm. And this I know lots of stupid some, things that are on the internet. There's got to be some like Globetrotters documentaries on Netflix or something, right? I want to go watch that uh, too. Maybe. Someone should make that. That used to be a thing when I was a kid in the 70s and <laughs> 80s. The Globetrotters were still a thing. They have their own cartoon, right? Wasn't uh, it like oh, a yeah. Scooby-Doo crossover? Yeah, they went and did some mysteries with Scooby-Doo. Yeah. 
That's so great. Uh, yeah. All right. I think we got to wrap up. We got to wrap it up. Probably. Brett, where can our listeners find everything you do? Oh, uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, I Brett My Pants. <laughs> um, and I'm um, on Facebook. And uh, check out my, uh, I have a website. I haven't, I got to get, I haven't done enough on that lately. I have a website uh, that is a parody of uh, Breitbart called, called Brett Bart. It's really entertaining. I like it's it It's basically The Onion, if, but, but Brett Bart. Specifically Brett Bart. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's- so, uh, yeah, so I do some of that. I, I've gotten away from that with, with some other stuff. But yeah, you can find me there and then that's got all of my uh, things on it. Check Excellent. it out. Do that. You can follow us at Probably Science and individually at Andy T. Wood at McCursion. Please do those. You can find us on mm-hmm. Facebook as well, slash Probably Science and ProbablyScience.com. ProbablyScience at gmail.com is our email address. If you have any stories you want us to cover or questions, comments, clarifications, any of that kind of stuff. Andy, you got anything else you need to plug? Uh, May 21st is the next Guilty Treasure and uh, Jimmy Pardo is going to be one of the guests Do it. singing a nice. Guilty Pleasure song with Brian Cook and myself and the full band. That'll so, be awesome. And uh, if anybody wants to contact John Huck and remind him that he oh totally man. blew it today by going home and not <laughs> hanging out with Kerry King of Slayer, I think he would enjoy that as well. So and, uh, and also that. watch the Jim Jeffrey show tonight to see the what we're talking about and see and make sure you stay till the end credits. There's like a credit <laughs> yeah. bed that you... The way TV now works, you can only see it if you watch it on the app or something, but that's how you get to yeah. see Kerry King wailing on the guitar. Oh, because you're saying otherwise it'll like skip to the next episode. It just episode goes straight to the next episode. You oh, just almost hate that. Yeah. Uh, it's like Eli Braden, past guest, does uh, the closing credit song for the new Joel McHale show on Netflix, but you only see it if you manage to hit at the right time the watch the credits instead of skip to the next episode. <laughs> I was like, he wrote a whole song for that. And it's a funny <laughs> it just, outro. It just automatically by default yeah. just gets avoided. Mm-hmm. Look. Check those out. Check but yeah, out. thank and you very much, listeners. Thanks, thanks, Brett. Thanks for having yeah. me, guys. It was, it was fun. A lot of fun. See you next week. See you next week.